Hey, Zach. Hello, Jack. What's going on? Not much. Sweet. All right, so we've got a listener hand today, uh, one of our more recent uh, submissions. Uh, so this player is writing to us about a hand that took place in a social club in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a 1-2 game with a mandatory straddle of 5 to the previous winner or the button if the previous winner is a current blind. So it plays like a weird 2-5. That's kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I that, mean like, that's the ideal, you know, ideal setup. I mean, you know that, like, epic session I had when I was in Vegas at Caesars Palace. It was like, you know, it's a 1-3 game, but played like a 2-5 and, like, you know, I'd say the average stack there was like definitely definitely rivaled some of the best games we've played with in Florida and Maryland and was, you know, equally as soft because it was kind of a one three game. Yeah, it's also really reminiscent of uh the New York Underground games we used to play because you know, in those games you get something called the rock, uh if you're not familiar with it. It uh if when it's in the pot, uh and you win the pot, you get it. Uh and when it's you're under the gun, uh it's a mandatory straddle. So it, it it almost those games sort of play like you know half one two half two five sort of randomly and I mean obviously when you have people who straddle on their own uh it becomes much more like a two five game and also the i mean the average stack in that game is often like you know as deep as like a one k one and a half two five yeah. cap in vegas because there, and there's so much pre flop action that it it kind of is its own category and you definitely need a bigger bankroll to play your average New York Underground 1-2 or 1-3 game than most 2-5 games around the country, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it, it's it's sort of necessary to have that with the uh, the rake the way it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, we, we don't want to... We, we have a tendency to sort of dive off into the strategy of those games. So uh, on with this particular hand. Yeah, stop distracting us, man. Let's get back into it. My my sincerest apologies. Uh, so we got four players in the pot. Our hero is under the gun uh, with $130. He said he's a 39-year-old tag who's had a decent amount of success playing MTTs uh, in casinos, online, and social clubs. Uh, newer to cash, uh, had success pre-money maker playing uh, 510 stud and limit hold'em. Uh, and then, yeah, so he's currently transitioning to cash. So that's I don't I don't have the stud and limit background, but I did start out playing mostly MTTs and sit and goes. Uh, I know Zach also started out playing sit and goes, so we can definitely relate to some of the questions that you know players new to this game have. Anyways, villain one in middle position with forty nine dollars. Uh, he's seventy plus. Draw to anything, rich old man, uh, and he says the money just he says the money at these stakes seems meaningless. Uh, buys in for a hundred dollars at a time, and this is his third buy-in. Villain two is directly to the left of villain one with about one hundred twenty dollars. Uh, Fifty-plus decent player playing a wide range tonight. Clearly understands the game, but has a wild hair and is able to change gears very well. So this sounds like a pretty good player. Uh, someone who has a wild hair probably means that they're able to be aggressive and able to change gears well. Is sort of the, really the key to being a good poker player. I'm guessing based on the actual game that he is. Not that great, but who knows? I don't know what the poker scene is like in Louisville, so maybe this is the best game around. His stack of having $120 is also suspect, but we can yeah. consider this player to be good for the game. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, and then the button has $200. 
Uh, 20-ish tag, seems to be a thinking player, but young and just getting started. Okay, so one thing to note is that stack sizes are super short in this game. So this is really a 1-2-5 game. So the effect, I mean, so we're sitting with like 25, uh, 26 big blinds, uh, and villain one only has 10. So, you know, that's that should really affect uh, how we're playing these games, especially pre-flop. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is kind of just like a wait for premium hands and play them strong and aggressively pre-flop type game, given these stack sizes. Yeah, and depending on what player, premium becomes like, you know, very wide. Yeah, king, like ten, I, king 10 offsuit. And h- higher cards, you know, go up in value. Speculative hands go down to very little in value unless you're able to, like, limp. Yeah, and, you know, we're we're getting a lot less from implied odds. So, you know, smaller pocket pairs lose value. Uh, pseudo connectors lose a lot of value. Yeah. Okay. So, so the action. Hero, uh, under the gun, Raises Ace of Hearts, King of Clubs to $17. Uh, and the three villains call. The blinds fold. So I don't I don't think there's too much to say other than potentially size larger. Yeah, the one thing I would say is in a game like this, I'd probably, probably size a little bit larger. Uh, and I would also consider limp re-raising at these stacks um it just depends on people's tendencies if it's like a very limp happy game then i think i'm just making it you know like 20 25 all day but if you know you even have like two players that will raise with kind of like a more reasonable range who understand that like it's good to attack limpers with high cards in this kind of short stack game then i think being in the earliest position i'm going to be inclined to limp re-raise with a lot of my my better hands uh and just you know, be happy, especially with a hand like Ace King, happy to take it down pre and also happy to get called by any range. Totally agree. Uh, but yeah, we don't know enough to necessarily know which is better. So on to the flop. All right. So the flop is the queen of hearts, the three of clubs and the eight of hearts. Uh, so our hero decides to lead out for $22. So Zach, what's your thought? I mean, I just, I really don't like this. You know, we have two over cards and we have backdoor not flush draw. Um, so I think depending on what the action is in front of us, we could potentially call a bet. But yeah, I mean, we get we got calls by like, you know, two very loose players and kind of one tag. And we have two hearts on the board and a queen and eight and a three. This kind of just smashes their ranges. Um, and I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, our hand really also benefits from checking through. You know, when it checks through, I think we're good a lot. Uh, we can sort of value bet to, maybe not value bet, but if we do value bet, we can maybe get called by draws. Uh, and also, when we hit an ace or a king, we can feel very, very confident that we have the best hand. Um, and we can also turn a draw and then use that to semi-bluff the turn. So a lot of good things can happen when it checks through on the flop, and not a ton of good things can happen when we bet. So uh, definitely a check. Yeah. So so what happens? Okay. Uh, so villain one 
ships for $32. Villain 2 folds. Villain 3, who is the 20-ish tag, uh, calls 32. <sighs> yeah, I mean, we're definitely calling with just yeah, ten, 10 more. But, like, yeah. And, you know, could even potentially... Like, what would, I think the more interesting spot here is, like, let's say we checked and villain one bet 32 and then villain three calls. Uh, what are you doing in that spot? Say that again? I, th- I think this would be a more interesting spot if we checked villain one went all in for 32 and villain three called and now we're left, you know, to check and fold or check and call the bet of 32. I think it's close. An argument for calling would be that, you know, we may be able to bluff villain three later in the hand especially if the turn checks through and villain one could easily be drawing then again we have to wait for the river uh for like a really good bluffing opportunity i would say and we're just gonna have a really hard time calling a turn bet from villain three then so i i still think that it's probably a call because I think villain three's range is fairly capped and we'll be able to bluff pretty frequently. I think the turn is going to check through a lot and we could very, you know, we could definitely make an ace or a king on the turn of river and value bet uh, or turn a heart and bluff then. Yeah, I actually think that this is a really good spot to raise. If yeah, we check, um, because, you know, when Villain 3 calls, his range is, like, very capped. Um, I think maybe there's some made hands that he's calling there, like King Jack, oh, uh, sorry, Queen, Queen Jack, Queen 10 come to mind. Uh, you know, probably just suited combos if this is more of a tag player, uh, or at least suited combos of Queen 10. Uh, but they have so many more draws uh, when they're calling here. Um, and I think when the preflop raiser makes a check raise after an all-in, it just looks very strong, even though what we're kind of doing is potentially bluffing off, like, a queen or an eight out of the pot and isolating a, you know, rich old man who the stakes are meaningless to him, where we're kind of crushing his range. And I and depending on our sizing, like, a tag player that bets 30 here with queen jack and we raise, I could see that player laying it down, you know? Yeah. Or One thing I- especially laying it down on many turns. Yeah, I was, as I was going through the reasons to call, uh, I was sort of, you know, starting to come to the same conclusion. I I agree. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily say we're crushing uh, the old man's range, but I think that if we can essentially, if we're very confident that villain three always folds, then our raise is really calling with, you know, three or three and a half to one. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, th- I think you're right. We're not crushing villain one's range. I think a lot of players, when they have less than a pot size bet left and they have any pair, are just going to go all in here, you know, whether it's a pair of fives, pair of eights, three, four suited. So, yeah, we're not necessarily crushing the range, but are we, you know, do we have enough equity to to call, essentially call a bet getting three and a half to one? Yes. Yeah, so if, if, we're, if we're positive we're going to fold out villain three's entire range, then... Yeah, we're really just calling villain one, knowing that villain three is going to be uh, out of the pot. So I think a raise is a good play here. Uh, I also think 
a call or not here, but in this hypothetical situation. Uh, I think a call is probably plus EV2. Okay. So in-game, here about 22. The rich old man raised all into 32. And the tag villain called 32 on the button. And then hero calls the additional 10. Um, so now... Well, I mean, so do we think that... Oh, in this spot, maybe hero should In this re-raise? spot, maybe should... The 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 difference is that, uh, just for the listeners, the difference is that in this spot, we're getting much better odds just to call. Uh, so I I still think a call is best. It will still have opportunities to bluff, and I I think just paying less for those opportunities is best rather than trying trying to get the value of folding out villain three's entire range and give up on any chance of value betting them later. It just seems like calling is best here. But I think it's 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 good to consider the raise. Also our line kind of looks more full of shit if we like if we're only betting twenty two dollars into fifty eight on like a draw heavy board, then just like shoving over the top just doesn't really make any sense, you know? I think that's probably true Except I don't think that these villains will think that. Oh yeah, it might it might look very strong. Uh, yeah, but yeah, okay, good point. Okay, yeah. So about one sixty five going to the turn when we have got the four of hearts, and so I, I I think that this is a great spot to bluff. Yeah, if if we're if we're gonna make this call profitable on the flop, then we have to be planning to bluff certain runouts, and obviously hearts are, you know the main one we're going to be picking here. Yeah, I think this is just a slam dunk bluff. There's a lot in Villain 3's range that we think will fold. Uh, when Villain 3 does call, I think that you know we, we, we still have pretty good equity. I think probably most the time an ace or a king will be good for us. We know uh, a heart will be good for us. The one thing we're worried about, I guess, is that Villain 3... Uh, was calling with a draw, which is definitely worth considering. I think that a young tag with the stacks this short uh, is likely to race with a draw on the flop. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I think I think we could feel pretty happy shipping it here. The tag started the hand what like two hundred and one sixty five in the pot. Uh, so there's a little under a pot size bet left. So I think, you know, we ship here and I think you much know, less than a pot size bet. Yeah. Wasn't there just, doesn't the tag just have 150? Oh no, we well, have, we have, a, we have, a, so, you oh. know, so this we is, only, this is kind we of only have like 85. Yeah. Yeah. This is tough because like how much full deck we do we have? I didn't realize we we're just like this short. I mean, we talked about it, but <laughs> well, let's, I mean, I don't know. I think Queen Ten is going to have a really hard time calling eighty five here. Yeah, especially from this player, like a younger tag, kind of like will likely know the mantra that, like, you know. So our heroes, they said, like a thirty nine year old tag. When our hero plays the hand like this and like ships the turn, like if if the villain doesn't have a heart in their hand, like they're going to have a really difficult time calling because they could be, you know, drawing dead or drawing near dead. And it's just so unlikely for our hero to have a bluff in this spot. Yeah, there's there's a lot of hands that 
you know, makes a good amount of sense. Ace Queen with the Ace of Hearts. Uh, we, might, I mean, definitely we might have just shipped that on the flop. We probably would have, uh, but I think that there's plenty of hands that I think Villain could put into our range here if he's thinking that way that are going to make it hard for him to call with a hand like Queen 10. Yeah, or I mean even even King Queen or East Queen if they somehow don't raise the flop, you know, and they don't have a heart. Yeah, I mean I don't think we should be expecting that much Ace Ace Queen King Queen to be folding, but we also have blockers to those hands. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a we have a blocker to the nut flush draw which makes it less likely that he's drawing to hearts. So, yeah, I think this kind of illustrates how it's really important to like if you feel like you have even a small edge in, in the game or if you're not but trying to really work on your poker game like it's really important to sit full stacked and at this table maybe the max buy is 200 even though it's a five dollar mandatory straddle so for to just have 130 dollars it's just very difficult to leverage your stack and like jack's saying yeah for a half pot bet i don't know if ace queen or king queen can fold um but for a pot size bet then i think that becomes a lot more likely yeah i mean i just i think uh, free listeners that you know maybe are are you know knowingly losing players of some margin. If you're trying to improve your game, you're not going to improve it by you know short stacking the game. Uh, that might be good at first to feel more comfortable at the table and to get good at preflop hand selection, but uh, you're not going to really improve as a poker player until you're playing kind of at least 100 big blinds deep in a cash game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So as played. Uh, you know, we checked villain one was all in on the flop and villain three bets $50. So hero calls and do you want to talk about the call real quick? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, when this card comes off, like I don't really see villain bluffing ever. Yeah. I don't think the villain is bluffing. Uh, so I think what really we're saying is, do we have direct odds to a call assuming that, when we hit, we can get the rest of our stack called, which I, I well, think that... Well, that would be implied odds, not direct odds. Well, do we have... Yes, okay, right. Uh, that that was a sort of elaborate description of implied <laughs> odds that would have been nicely substituted by the term itself. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if we assume that villain has two hearts in their hand the vast majority of the time, three hearts are out, and we have one... Um, then we're drawing to seven outs. Um, and yeah, so we have like $85 left. I think this, I think this becomes a fold. I mean, if we think that I mean, always has a flush, which I I think is a decent assumption. I, but I, I actually, you know, a young player, I think that they could be, do you think they're ever bluffing here? Um, I mean, just not really because you have another you have another person that's already all in, you know. Not necessarily, but bluff. You know, turn, trying to fold out. Yeah, a hand like Ace Queen. I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I, I think the problem is they're betting fifty when you have eighty five dollars left. You know, like I just think the chances of like a tag younger player doing that when there's another player all in as a bluff. It's just basically zero. I think the 
the better question is maybe are they capable of like trying to maybe protect a hand but then the problem is you as the preflop raiser the way you played your hand like it's hard for them to imagine i think to be called by a worse hand if if they're trying to like protect with a queen or something yeah i agree so so i think basically we think that this person's range are all flushes so that's it's just really a math problem uh so we're calling 50 to win uh so our stack size is 83 right yeah and so so hold on 83 times 2 plus what was the pop before 165 or yeah, yeah 165 so we're calling 50 to win So we're calling 50 to win about 330, uh, assuming that when we hit our flush, we can put in the rest of our stack and get called 100% of the time. And that's a very safe assumption. Yeah, I think know. that's a very safe assumption. So we need about 15% equity. Uh, we have seven outs, we think. Uh, so it's really, really close. The, Def- the, definitely the gen- a good bet by the, the tag player, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if he if he wanted to make your hand indifferent to calling uh, or folding, he 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 didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so the the general sort of rule of outs is times four on the flop, times two on the river, but it's actually a little bit higher than that. So I, I just really think that this is sort of a a zero EV spot either way. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that you would think about is then, like, what are the chances certain outs are dirty, and then what is the chances? What are the chances that, you know, I think villain one, given the description, has just such a wide range, you can't like say he's more weighted towards hearts or something. Um, so, yeah, that would be the only other thing that I would try to do in this spot. Like, think if it's more likely the other ranges have more hearts and have not, and then that would lead me towards the decision. But I'm not sure with any of the information we have, we can kind of do that. So I think this is just, yeah, a very close to zero EV play, whether we fold or whether we call. Yeah, I think it, it sort of comes down to, uh, because I think that villain one has hearts a certain percentage of the time, if we think that this villain is ever bluffing with this $50 bet, then we can call. And if it's never bluffing, it's a fold. Well, again, I don't think it's ever a bluff. I think the only thing it would be would be like a protection bet with a queen. R- I think right. that's more likely I guess than a bluff. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a better way to say it would be if he's ever betting uh, a non-flush. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, basically we'll leave the decision to the listener. If you think that this player is betting on flushes, then I would call this $50. And if you think they're not, then I would fold. Cool. Okay. So the river action. Oh, sorry, sorry. So our listener does call, uh, which is it's it's really close. It's it's definitely not a horrible call, uh, yeah. but I I think that because uh, of villain one's range, it is a fold if we think that villain three is never bluffing. Anyways, so the river is the ten of hearts, and of course our hero goes all in for thirty one dollars. Uh, unsurprisingly, villain three calls. Somewhat more surprisingly, uh, Villain 3 has Jack of Hearts, Nine of Hearts for the straight flush. You know, we we didn't 
talk about that on the turn because it's a pretty unlikely consideration, but you know, that that's a very slight weighting also towards a fold on the turn. Yeah, I mean if we if we think that, you know, this player has a lot of flushes, many of their flush combos are like nine ten of hearts, jack nine of hearts, jack ten of hearts, and then that makes some percentage of our outs dirty and that they will have a straight flush. And I definitely think that that alone does lean it towards a fold because it's not that significant, but the call is pretty close to zero EV that the times they do have those hands and get the one card, I think makes a, you know, makes probably at least a 1% equity difference. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there's nothing to say really on the river. It's sort of shitty. Yeah. Um, is there anything, anything else listener said about the hand that worth mentioning? Yeah. So the, yeah. So the listener writes, uh, obviously this is just a terrible river card. Agreed. I would really like to hear what you guys think about all the pre river action. Uh, so I, we've already discussed that, I think. Um, and he writes, I would also love to hear you guys discuss playing ace king off, uh, or ace king suited from early position in a game like this. Uh, there are, there is a ton of action in this game on a regular basis, and it seems very beatable. The average buy-in is $100. The minimum is 60 which had to be instituted because they were sick of people trying to buy in for $20 and $40 multiple times. Oh, wow. Uh, good rule. <laughs> there are some players who buy in for 300 or 400 which I think is correct, but I haven't come prepared to do that yet. I've only sat in this game five or six times, but I've spent a lot of time watching it. It spawns from a $35 buy-in tournament that I play regularly. I would like to play more when my bankroll is sufficient. So yeah, I think our listener has touched on some good things here. Saying that players who buy in for $300 or $400, you know, I think that is correct for players with a skill edge. Uh, and I think uh, we agree that this listener has made some mistakes in this hand, but you know, he's listening to the show, he's writing in, he's uh, a tournament player, so I think this listener is serious, and as you get better, as your bankroll grows... Definitely, I would come uh, prepared to buy in for a full stack, you know, at least 200. And probably if there are some players who are not very good buying in for 300 or 400, then, you know, buying in to their size. Uh, I don't know what the cap is in this game, but it's probably... Oh, sorry, I forgot that this game was basically a 1-2-5 game. Yeah, I would definitely, uh, I think optimally, based on how it seems the game goes, probably... Uh, come and sit down with 500 if that's allowed yeah um and then it's just a question of bankroll management you know uh but in a game like this you know i think buying in as deep as possible is generally good and it sounds like our listener you know is ready to do that in terms of their their skill uh even if they're you know have some room to grow uh but then it's just kind of a question of personal risk assessment and bankroll management uh as far as us playing ace-king off uh, or ace-king suited from early position in a game like this, uh, I think we sort of t- we sort of discussed it a little bit earlier with stack sizes. I think that the one thing that maybe you're not thinking about that we would uh, recommend is when stacks are this short, if you think that there's an opportunity to you know, push stacks in pre-flop, go for it with a hand like ace-king uh, you know, suited or not. Yeah. And then other than that, you know, just I think I think part of the problem with a question like this is that it's sort of 
is asking for a, a rule about poker. Uh, you know, how do I play ace-king in early position? And I think what's more important is just developing your situational awareness, your hand-reading ability, um, and your understanding of the sort of underlying mathematical principles of the game. And that's a big task, of course. But once you have a handle of those, then you already know what to do with ace-king, uh, you know, in any position. And so rather than sort of searching a bunch of, searching for a bunch of go-to rules, I think it's better to sort of approach the game more holistically. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I think it can be very tempting to try to find rules. And I know I've been there, and I'm currently spending a lot of my study efforts trying to transition more to PLO. And it's definitely nice to try to find some preflop rules with certain hands. But ultimately, rules are just crutches uh, kind of on your way to becoming a better player where you're always going to be factoring in you know, so many things into a decision that it's hard to have uh, you know, a hard, fast rule. Yeah, and that's not to say that like uh, you don't want to have any default assumptions or styles. I mean, you, you're not going to be able to and probably it's not practical to think through every single decision to the absolute extent of your abilities uh and we're only humans and this this is a game that is too complicated for the modern computer to solve so of course you're going to be relying on uh patterns or heuristics to aid you but i think there's a difference between you know having sort of default assumptions and a set of heuristics you're working with uh, and then using that to aid your range based in-game analysis versus you know having uh, hard set rules and sort of a very set simple strategy yeah agreed sounds good Jack well thank you for writing in and we'll well thank you for writing in and hope to hear more hands in the future from when you're hopefully crushing this uh, one two five game yeah, absolutely. And just as a reminder, uh, if you write us and don't get on the show right away, we'll still respond to you. Uh, we actually, interestingly, uh, Zach and I both reached out to this player and uh, gave a little re- quick response based on what we saw. But actually, uh, you know, getting into it together in this format, we've sort of reached some different conclusions or at least considered some slightly different options. Uh, especially with that hypothetical scenario you posed, Zach, uh, about what would happen when when it checked. Anyways, uh, thanks again for writing in, and yeah, we'll see you soon.